you stand with us? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame.
if you're going through a storm right now, but no matter what you're facing, I want you to know today that God is with us. And if he is with us, nothing can stand against us. His love is never failing. Hey, good morning, everybody. We're starting right off with just a little bit of an explanation of why we're doing what we're doing. I know a lot of you are facing some difficult circumstances right now. You're kind of a little bit worried, kind of a little bit concerned. And one of the things that people like when they are in a place of uncertainty is they want to maintain things as normal as they can possibly maintain them. I know some people are thinking, man, I just want to keep church. If there's anything else I can keep somewhat same in my life, I want to keep church as much the same as I possibly can. We know that there are some churches that are continuing to do their exact normal thing right now. They're just broadcasting it uh, through video means. We did that for a little while. There are some churches that are doing the drive-in worship service experience where they're like, we're going to keep worship the same. It's just going to be outside, people driving in, sitting in their cars. Well, listen, I'm convinced of something. I'm convinced that when we face times of uncertainty, when God brings us a challenge, it is exactly because God has a new level he wants us to reach. And so here, what we're going to do is we're going to lean into that challenge. We're going to lean into that new opportunity. Our entire mission as a church is that we empower people to live the life God made them for. And so what we're doing around here is we're trying to move forward into the opportunities that God is bringing us. So some things to keep in mind with regard to what's happening around here at Lafayette Community Church. Number one, when we return all together, whenever that is, Sundays are going to return mostly to normal. They're not going to stay with this particular format when we all get together in the room again. They're going to return mostly to normal, so you don't have to worry about that. But a second thing I want you to remember is that worship should not depend on our circumstances. Listen, for you, if worship depends on your external circumstances or the environment you're in, then you haven't understood worship or the God you worship. Worship is supposed to be where we recognize God is supreme above all the other things. And so this experience right now where things are different, where things are weird, where we're not doing things the way you're comfortable, where we're not doing things the way they minister to your emotional reality the way you have grown used to, is good for us. We want things to be different, for them to feel different, because we need to train ourselves to remember that worship is about God and not about the circumstances. And then the third thing I want you to remember with regard to the fact that we're doing things differently as a church is that 80% of the people in Lafayette didn't like the way we were doing them before anyway. Most of the people don't come to church. 80% of the people in this county don't come to church on a Sunday. And one of the major reasons they don't is that they didn't like what they experienced when they came. So what we're doing as a church during this weird time of coronavirus, quarantine, self-isolation, lockdown, whatever it is, We are leaning into a new opportunity. Listen, churches for a long time have operated with the basic premise of we do a large block of music, then we do a large block of teaching, then we do maybe a closing song, and that's how the Sunday morning experience ends. And we've grown used to that, and we're comfortable with that. But television does something different. They do a small block of something, and then a small block of something, and then a small block of something, and then a small block of something. And why? Why do they do it that way? Because TV understands attention better than a lot of churches do. They want to hold your attention. And number two, 
TV is about a wide audience. Listen, we have to admit the fact that the way church has been done so far in the United States of America is not reaching new people like it has in the past. And that's because attention has changed. And that's because the audience has changed. Now listen, I'm with you on the fact that our number one audience when we do what we do is God. We aren't worried about what the world thinks about us so much. We're worried about what God thinks about us. He is our number one audience. But guess what? You have that audience right now wherever you are. If you're watching this at your home, you have that audience right now. Right now as we're recording this, I have that audience. I answer to God above all other people. But here's the deal. There are people out there who need to know the message of Jesus. And 80% of them can't get it in the way we have packaged it before. So we're doing some things differently. We're doing this thing that we're calling This Week Today. It's a television show style experience, but it is still a worship experience just with a few differences. Number one, everything we're doing is in small shareable chunks. Number two, we're going to be doing some personal follow-up. Today I'll let you know a little bit more about that in just a moment. And number three, we are leveraging the digital community of our church to try to build some relationships with each other. So, hopefully that explains a little bit of what we're all about. Let's get on with the experiment. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another week of This Week Today. Recorded in front of a two-person audience at 2301 Concord in beautiful Lafayette, Indiana. This week, we'll be hearing from special guests, Eric and Carrie Bowen, plus music provided by the Stay at Home Band. And now, here's your host, Jeff Michaels. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're joining us today. We are in a series as a church that we're calling This Week Today. The whole point of This Week Today is to give you something today to think about that is going to help you this week. Something today to think about to give you a perspective on what's going on in your life so that this week you can be a little bit closer to the person that God designed you to be. I'm so excited about what we've got going on today, and let me give you some instructions on how you can benefit the most from it. As we do this music, I want to ask you to sing along. In your homes, listen, you're watching other people sing on the screen, but sing along with it. If you know the words, if you know the song, join in and use this as an opportunity to draw your heart's attention to the truths of God. If you don't know the song, that's fine too. Go ahead and let the lyrics and the music inspire you with the truths of God, perhaps in a way that you haven't realized before. So today we're going to have some music. Then after that, we're going to have some shareable segments. Everything today... After we're done with our morning worship experience, all of the different segments of today are going to be posted individually to YouTube so that you can grab the one that was most meaningful to you and share it on your social media platforms to your friends or whoever it is. Also, after today's worship experience, we are going to have a Zoom chat. I'm going to be hosting a Zoom chat. And I invite you to join us with that. We'll put more of the details in the uh, comment section of today's video. And that way you can join me. And if you have any questions about what's going on in our church or any follow-up comments or questions about today's experience, then I want to invite you to join me for that. And so now, 
We're going to have a time of music. I want to invite you to let God's word, let God's truth inspire you and transform your heart just a little bit as we do. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph My God will never fail My God will never fail I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see a victory For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus Every war he wages he will win I'm not backing down from any giant I know how this story ends I know how this story ends Enemy 
Man, I really hope that that music helped inspire you to be a little closer to God in your relationship with Him today. Well, as we move on through this morning's experience, I think one of the things that we need is some humor. And so each one of our mornings, we're having just a little bit of a humorous thing. And today, I thought I would share with you, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this, some of my favorite TikToks. So over the last couple of weeks, perhaps couple of months, I have periodically opened up the TikTok app on my phone and spent far too much time browsing through the things that I find there. My wife has made fun of me, my daughter has made fun of me, my son has made fun of me, and those who know me have made fun of me. So I decided today I would share with you two of my favorite TikToks. And so here you go, enjoy. Hey, so as some of you guys might know, I'm a music teacher, and I found that one of the best ways that I can process the whole transition to online learning and teaching is to write a song. So I wrote a song. I'd like to share that with you guys now. Here we go. I hope you thought that was funny because um, I'm still embarrassed that I showed it to you. Anyway, our next segment is we're going to have an interview with some people in our church. Now, this is an interview that I recorded earlier this week, and I want you to see Eric and Carrie Bowen share their story of how God has been at work in their life. So interestingly enough, the detour in life uh, began last year uh, when I quit my job without having a new job lined up. Uh, so at that time, I didn't really understand what was going on, uh, but I couldn't find a, another job within the chemistry field. So I went to Walmart and I took a job there, um, just an hourly type of job. And within six months, I had made supervisor over there as I was completing my degree. So I just completed my degree at Purdue. And so I completed my program there. And a week later, I had been applying to jobs and Amazon called me back and said, hey, we want you as an area manager. 
So over in Whitestown, I have a job beginning on Monday uh, with uh, essentially the same pay as I was making as a scientist and a huge sign-on bonus and stocks and everything else with the company. So prayer answered because we had been waiting for about a year and we weren't certain, especially with the COVID-19 situation, uh, my previous job had laid off half of its workforce. So by going and taking a job at Walmart and getting supervisory experience, in addition to getting my college degree, boy, talk about Providence right there. That's God right there because he protected me from being laid off and gave us a job at exactly the time when we needed it most right there. So you're saying that if you hadn't gone to Walmart and been a supervisor at Walmart, this Amazon job opportunity probably wouldn't have opened up for you. It definitely would not have. But you weren't happy at Walmart. Well, the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, it's a different style situation than what I had been used to previously. Without the Walmart experience on my resume, I never would have been even considered for this position because my resume previous to this only had scientific experience on it. So talk a little bit more about kind of your emotional and spiritual life during the last year. Oh, wow. Um, did you go through times of doubt? Did you go through times of, of questioning whether God was really caring for you? What, what was that like for you? Absolutely. Yes, uh, we went through a lot of doubt. Uh, we wondered, you know, what God's purpose was for doing all of this. We wondered why we were being made to wait so long. But when this answer came, it was similar to like a situation like Abraham, where he was told, hey, you know, I'll be there for you. You know, I will make you into, you know, a, a nation there. You know, he had plans to prosper us all along, but we couldn't see the final ending of it until recently. So we didn't understand why we were going through what we were going through at the time. And it led us to doubt at that time. You know, and I was mad. I, I think I was mad for a long time and sad about that. I think we had a lot of tears in the car that he probably didn't know about. We were asking ourselves, okay, why is God doing this to us? Why is it that we can't seem to get ahead? Why is it happening to us? And then all of a sudden, this came along, and all the answers became very clear. The hardships are the hardest, but usually that's when you, that's actually usually when he's there, even though you think he's not. There's this passage in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, that I think is incredibly appropriate for us today and for this entire series that we're doing. It says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. One of the problems that we face, especially I think here in America, is this idea that busyness is the answer. That activity is the answer. Especially when we face times of uncertainty or confusion, we want to be in control of what's going on, and we frequently slide into trying to control things by doing more things. But there in the book of Exodus, God is trying to liberate his people from their bondage and slavery and lead them to a place of promise. And he says to them, listen, I'm going to fight for you. You only need to be still. I hope that during this time of self-isolation and whatnot, that you would be able still to embrace the idea that God is in charge and you can let him be in charge. You need only to be still. I invite you to take a few moments of stillness now as you listen to this next song and sing along with it.
Hey, would you pray with me? Lord, we just ask that you would teach us from your word what we need to know. Pray today that you would guide us to understand something new, something new about you, something new about ourselves, and that in the process we would become the people that you've designed us to be. Even though things are weird, your word stays the same. And so we pray that you would guide us. Lord, watch over the words that I speak and the thoughts in all of our hearts and help us to draw closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's main topic is doubt. Now, the interesting thing about doubt for Christians is that doubt is a bad word. Doubt is uh, it's a four-letter word, even though it's a five-letter word for Christians, because if you realize the opposite of doubt, we would say is faith. And faith is a very good word for Christians. Faith is perhaps the most important word for Christians. When you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There it is. Faith is the essential component of pleasing God. Or in Galatians chapter 3, 26, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you all are children of God through what? Faith. Faith is the most important good word, and therefore doubt is probably the most important bad word for Christians. We tend to believe that doubt is the absolute worst thing that a Christian can do because faith is the best thing. We name our children faith. You've never heard of a Christian child named doubt. It just doesn't show up except for this one guy who we call Doubting Thomas. And I personally like the guy. I think he's got a lot of good things going on in his life. But still, we call him Doubting Thomas. Now, listen, I've had my share of doubts. I've had my own experiences with doubt when I was in Chicago. Some of you know my Chicago story, but uh, I'll just give you a brief bit of it today. I was in Chicago as a pastor of a church there for about five years. When I went to that church, it was obvious to me that God wanted me and my family there. It was obvious that I had been prepared specifically for that experience. I'd gone to an exceptional church when I was being raised. My dad was the pastor of that, so I got to experience that. I went to an exceptional college, and then I went to an exceptional graduate school. I had all of the training that I needed, and I was convinced that God had prepared me well and that he had called me to that specific location. There was just one problem. Nothing in Chicago worked out the way I expected it to. Nothing in Chicago worked out the way I thought it was going to, the way I wanted it to. And at the end of almost five years, we're talking four years and 11 months, at the end of that experience, when we were leaving Chicago finally, I went through a long process of confusion, fear, anger, and yes, doubt. And there were two biggest things that I had on my mind when it came to doubt. They were, question number one, did I misunderstand God? Did God really want me to go somewhere else? Did God really want me to prepare in a different way? Did God want me to do something different while I was there? My question was, did I misunderstand God? 
But my second question was just as painful. The question was, has God failed me? Did God fail me? You see, on the one hand, I was in control of my activities, and so if I had done the right things but got the wrong results, then maybe it was God who was to blame. Maybe He failed me. And in that moment, I spent about a year wrestling with that doubt. Doubt number one, had I done the wrong thing? Did I misunderstand God? Or doubt number two, had I done the right thing and God didn't come through for me? Perhaps you've been there. Perhaps you've experienced that same dilemma. Perhaps you're experiencing that dilemma right now. You're doubting maybe God put you in the wrong place. Maybe it's his fault. Or maybe you're in the right place, but you're doing the wrong things. After we had been here in Lafayette for three or four years, I went to a conference, a conference of a bunch of pastors, and it just so happened that the then current pastor of the church I had left in Chicago tracked me down. He found me at the conference. He came up to me. He said, are you Jeff Michaels? And I said, yeah, I'm Jeff Michaels. He said, I just wanted to shake your hand and thank you. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you hadn't done what you did in Chicago, all the good things that are happening now in that church could not have happened. I said, what do you mean? He went on to tell me a bunch of good things that were happening in that church, and he said, there were some things that were going on in the church before I got there that needed to be changed. And if they hadn't been changed by you when you were there, all the good things that are going on now could not be happening. He said, Jeff, I just wanted to thank you for making my job so much easier. And I tell you, at that moment, I just felt an incredible wave of relief but I also learned a new lesson. You see, the new lesson that I had learned was that God had me in Chicago not to do my will, but to do His will. God had me in Chicago doing what I was doing and where I was, not because of my plans, but because of His. See, it's not that I needed to doubt God, was I doing the right thing or the wrong thing. It was clear to me at the time that I was doing what he had asked me to do. And it wasn't, God, have you given up on me? It was a different question entirely. God, what are you really up to? You see, God had me where I was, not for my plans, but for his. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that moment? We interviewed um, Eric and Carrie earlier today, and I, I just wanted to highlight for you something that they said. They said in that interview that they were facing the same kind of doubts, the same kinds of questions. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I experiencing what I'm supposed to be experiencing? And you know what? As they were working on that question, they had no answer. They had no answer at all. But then later on, God shows up. Eric quit one job to pursue an education. And then in the midst of that, he gets a job at Walmart questioning everything, wondering, am I supposed to be doing this? Is this what God really wants for me? But then this coronavirus thing hits, and lo and behold, he he graduates, and lo and behold, his former company laid off all of their employees, including the ones that had the job that he had, and as a result of his experience at Walmart, he got a great job now. So here's the deal. God revealed to Eric and to Carrie that his journey through this detour was not a, oh God, when are you going to bring me back? 
It was, God, you are preparing me for something new. See, I believe God had Eric doing exactly what he was doing, not for Eric's reasons, but for God's reasons. Here's the truth for us. It's easy at the ends. When we're beginning a new venture or when we are learning God's final results of the thing that he had been planning all along, it's easy at the ends, but it's hard in the middle. See, that's where we doubt. Today, I want to share with you three kinds of doubt and how to deal with them. Doubt number one is what I call lack of confidence in a fact. It's simple. It's here's a statement of fact and I don't really believe it or I don't know if I believe it or, or I don't have full confidence in it. Perhaps you've experienced this kind of doubt before in your life. Doubt like did God really create the world? Did God create the world the way it seems Genesis describes it? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or maybe is the Bible really God's word? Those are some of the things that perhaps you've experienced doubt over. And those are just simple doubts over facts. Another way of talking about it is skepticism. And here's the truth. I believe that skepticism like that is good if we change the question. See, the question we want to ask is, did God really? But the question I think we should ask is, what is the evidence for this claim? Let me show you what I mean. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, it says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter says this very clearly. He says you are going to be challenged in the things you believe. And when you get that challenge, you should be able to give a good, gentle, and accurate answer for the reason, for the hope that you have. Listen, a lot of times Christians take this approach when it comes to facts. They will say, hey, listen, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And I want to encourage you, go ahead and have some skepticism. Go ahead and have some doubts. Your question should be not, did God really, but... What is the evidence for this claim? What does the Bible actually say? Who in the Bible says it? In what context do they say it? And does Jesus himself ever actually talk about it? You see, I want to encourage you to drive yourself back into scriptures. It is not doubt to ask yourself the question, what does it really say? What does it really mean? What is the real evidence? So I told you I was going to give you three kinds of doubt. The first kind of doubt, I don't even really consider it doubt the way Christians tend to talk about doubt. I consider it skepticism or a lack of confidence in a fact. And I want you to have a lack of confidence in your facts because I want you to drive yourself back into God's word and ask yourself repeatedly, what is the reason for this hope? But doubt number two. Maybe it's also not a real doubt, but let's just talk about it. Doubt number two, I call a lack of confidence in a prayer. This is something that's kind of a sneaky one for Christians, because a lot of Christians will accuse you of being a person of doubt if you've prayed for something and you don't display confidence in the results of your prayer. This happens a lot of times in a number of church contexts, but the best way I can explain it to you is by giving you an illustration. I have a friend. 
His name was Brad Bush. He passed away a number of years ago. But I knew him before then. And he was definitely a part of a church culture where they believed that in order for you to receive what you had prayed for, you had to have utter confidence in that prayer. Well, Brad was a a great pastor in town. He did a number of phenomenal things to improve the spiritual condition of people here in this community. And I am incredibly grateful to God for putting Brad Bush in our midst. But when he was diagnosed as having a brain tumor, a bunch of people got together around him and they prayed for him. And they prayed for his healing. And I was in a number of contexts where I heard people use this phrase, they were believing God for Brad's healing. They were believing God for his healing. There were some people who even had visions that Brad would be completely healed and completely restored. But he died. So there are some Christians who would say the lack of Brad's healing was proof of the lack of faith. He wasn't healed because there was some kind of doubt. And listen, there are a lot of Bible verses that uh, indicate we have been given promises by God that He will answer our prayers. If we pray according to His will, He will hear us. He will answer us. And I could quote a number of different passages that on the surface look like blanket promises that when you pray for something, you are supposed to hang on to to that prayer with confidence. And you're supposed to claim it. You're supposed to believe it. You're supposed to say, this prayer will happen. There's only one problem. The Bible doesn't support that. You see, there's this passage in James I mean, there are passages you could take out of context that support it out of context, but the Bible as a whole doesn't support it. Let me show you this passage from James chapter 4. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Well, see, there you go. We didn't ask God, and so that's why we don't have. No, keep reading. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, someone might accuse you that it's doubt when you prayed for something and don't expect it to come. I don't believe so. I don't call that doubt. I call that a lack of confidence in your prayers. And you should have a lack of confidence in your prayers because you should have a lack of confidence in your motives. And you're saying, oh, no, 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 I've got great motives. My motives aren't for my own pleasure. My motives are pure. Well, Let me show you what Proverbs has to say about that. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. I don't know what your motives are, and I don't know what my motives are. I know a little bit of what my motives are. I know a little bit of what Brad's motives were. I know a little bit of what the people in Brad's lives' motives were. But I'll just tell you, God can get glory, and great things can happen when one of his saints goes to heaven. And God can get glory and great things can happen when one of his saints stays on earth. And God can get glory and great things can happen when one of his saints goes through a hard time and then is delivered from that hard time. And God can get glory and great things can happen when God chooses which of those three options he wants. We pray for things, and then we lack the confidence that our prayer is going to come true. And I'm okay with that, and you should be okay with that, because your motives might not be entirely, purely what God wants. 
And so that's one of the reasons why Jesus would always say, pray in my name. That's one of the reasons why Jesus would say, whatever you ask in my name will be done. Ask anything according to my will and it will be done. See, Jesus himself, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed a prayer and he said, Father, if you would, I would like it for you to remove from me this thing I'm about to go through. But nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. That's why Jesus says in the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, I want to encourage you, if you've, ever had face, if you've ever faced doubt with regard to your prayers, great. That's a good doubt to have. It's just simply you need to ask a better question. Not, God, why won't you answer my prayer? The better question is, what are my motives in asking for this thing? So here's the deal. I think we all need more doubt. We need to pray fervently, but still question our motives. And we need to hold convictions over our beliefs, but also pursue answers. But there's a third kind of doubt. And this is the real one. It's the kind of doubt I want you to remove from your life entirely. It's the kind of doubt that I think needs to be eradicated from your life. It's lack of confidence in God. See, you can doubt all the other things, but I don't ever want you to doubt this one statement. A good God is in control. A good God is in control. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it. Look it up with me. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. This is a passage we could have looked at last week when we were talking about fear, but we're going to look, about it, look at it today. It says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Once again, this is right on the heels of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. He goes up onto a mountainside to pray. He dismisses the crowd. He dismisses the disciples to cross the lake. It says this in verse 23. After Jesus had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. As I said, we could have talked about this last week when we were dealing with fear. 
Twice in this passage, we're told about fear. Once, we can assume they were afraid. So here they are. They're rowing. They're buffeted by the wind and the waves. They're having a hard time rowing. They're probably afraid then, even though it doesn't say it. But then when Jesus goes walking to them on the water, it says they are terrified. They thought they saw a ghost. They thought they were all going to die because somehow an angel of God or a ghost or a spirit was going to come and get them. And so they were terrified. And then Peter... He gets out of the boat, and then we are told that he is afraid. But Jesus didn't accuse Peter of fear, did he? Did you see what Jesus said about Peter? Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, even though we are told Peter was afraid, and even though we are told the disciples were afraid, Jesus doesn't accuse them of fear. Jesus accuses Peter of lack of faith or doubt. What did Jesus mean by doubt? You know, when I was a kid, I remember this story uh, was being told to me with a flannel graph or Sunday school environment. You've probably experienced something along those lines. But it always went like this. The story always went like this. Here's Jesus walking to them on the water. And walking on the water, for crying out loud, that's an amazing feat. Jesus is walking to them on the water. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And then little flannel graph Peter gets out of the boat and he walks along the water. And then, this was my favorite part of the flannel graph story, because there were always these waves you know, that were on the flannel graph. And then Peter would be behind the waves and here's Jesus standing on top of the waves and then the Sunday school teacher would take the paper Peter and he would say, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink and then they would pull Peter down under the waves. I loved that. It was so visual. I loved it. They would pull Peter underneath the waves and then he would cry out, Jesus, save me. And then the teacher would make the moral point of the story. Peter began to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus. Listen, I've preached that before. I've told people that before. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and put his eyes on the waves, and that's when Peter began to sink. But there's just one problem with that. You see, that put in my head this idea of magical eye contact. There's this scene in the first Harry Potter movie where Harry is on a broomstick and he's flying around doing his thing, you know, in this uh, Quidditch game. If you're familiar with Harry Potter, then you understand these things. If you're not, don't worry about it. He's flying around on a broomstick and then the scene all of a sudden changes as we realize that Harry is under a magic spell. And you, the viewer, the audience, begins to realize that the reason he's under a magic spell is that the evil Professor Snape has been maintaining eye contact on Harry's broom. And they solve the problem when Hermione, the hero, is able to convince Snape to avert his eyes from Harry's broom. And once the evil person gets his eye contact broken from the broom, then Harry is fine after that point in time. And I had the same picture in my head when it came to Peter and Jesus. As long as Peter had his eyes on Jesus, the magic of walking on the water remained the same. But Jesus doesn't accuse Peter of taking his eyes off of him. Jesus doesn't accuse Peter of paying attention to the waves. Jesus accuses Peter of doubt. How should we understand this? Here you go. I think there are two verses that I want to point out to you to give you a good picture of this. Verse 28. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Let me just summarize that for you. I'll give you a quick summary. Because of Jesus, I'm okay. Peter looks at Jesus. He says, because of Jesus, I'm okay. If that's really you, Jesus, then you can tell me anything and I'm going to do it. Even walking on the water and I'll do it. It doesn't matter. As long as that's Jesus, I'm okay. Peter says, because of Jesus, I'm okay. But now, let me take you to the next verse that I want to point you to. It's verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, Save me. There's still a lingering bit of because of Jesus, I'm okay, because his last line is, Lord, save me. But it's changed. It's now because of Jesus, I will be okay if Jesus gets involved. Do you see that? That's a turn that a lot of us make. Because of Jesus, I will be okay if he gets involved. And then we ask ourselves all these questions. Is Jesus going to be involved? How am I going to be okay? But there's something else that happened before Peter says, Lord, save me. And it's when he looked at the wind, when he saw the waves. It goes like this. Because of the wind, I'm not okay. The phrase was, because of Jesus, I'm okay. Now it's because of the wind, I'm not okay. And then I'll need Jesus to come in and rescue me. But what changed? The thing that changed in those two verses is that Peter went from a place of faith, because of Jesus I'm okay, to a place where now the wind wins, where now the wind is in control. Faith says Jesus is in control. Peter at this moment says, oh no, no, the wind is in control. Now I need Jesus to save me from the wind because the wind is in control. Listen, this shouldn't even be called faith. It's just common sense. It's just common sense because, listen, the one who's standing on the water is the one who's really in charge. Are the wind and the waves in charge? Or is the one who's standing on the water in charge? I think it's just common sense. The waves aren't in charge. It's the person walking on the waves that's in charge. And so why in the world would Peter ever say, because of the wind, I'm no longer okay? You see, the doubt shows up when Peter says, I was okay simply because of Jesus. Now I'll only be okay if Jesus does something more. The doubt is who is really in control. How often does God have to prove to his people that he is really in control before they'll finally get it? How often does God have to throw you a curveball and then prove to you that he was in charge of it the whole time before you will get it? What about you? Do you doubt? Listen, what threatens me is nothing compared to God. This virus, nothing compared to God. This environment where church is weird is nothing compared to God. Your unemployment or your fears about unemployment are nothing compared to God. What threatens me cannot compare to God. And guess what? That's a good thing. I want a God who is bigger than all the things that threaten me. 
And then on top of that, my hardship and the things that I go through. That's just merely God giving me the opportunity to grow through. God is bringing hardship my way sometimes so that he can also give me his strength so that I can also become a better person. That's why James says consider it pure joy when you face trials of many, many kinds because that will produce in you perseverance leading to maturity. That is why we can say these things are good even when they're hard. Where are you today? Are you facing doubt? Are you facing doubt about your prayers? That's a good thing. Are you facing doubt about your facts? That's a good thing. Both of those things should drive us more to understand what God is really all about in His Word. But do you doubt this final thing, that God's in charge and that He's good? Listen, I just want to encourage you, don't ever let yourself doubt this One truth. A good God is in control. Look at Romans 8, 28 with me. One of the most famous passages. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. There is a good God. And He is definitely in control. He's the one who walks on water. He's the one who raises the dead. He's the one who made the water. He's the one who invented life. A good God is in control. Listen, this week, I think it's fine for you to question your facts. That's a good doubt. I think it's fine for you to question your motives. That's a good doubt. But never, ever, ever doubt that a good God is in control. I want to give you the opportunity to reflect on this just a little bit. We're going to have a final song here. And as the song plays, I encourage you to sing along with it. Or I encourage you to fill out some comments to reflect on this moment. Let us know by YouTube, Facebook, however you're watching this. Let us know with our app how we can be praying for you. Let us know what your response to today's time is and to this lesson is. Because today... We want you to think about doubt so that this week you can have the confidence in a good God who's always in control. I count on one thing same God that never fails when I
So as we end our time today, I just want to encourage you to let us know how God is working in your life. I'd love it if you would join my Zoom call immediately after this. We're going to have a Zoom chat to interact with each other about the things we've talked about today. We're also going to have our Kidopolis video being published on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook page as well. And so you've got a number of different options for you to connect with us even right now. But I want to end our time by reading a passage that we almost never read, but it's a very important passage about dealing with doubt, dealing with people who have doubt, and also it's one of the passages that Brad Bush read almost every time he finished one of our gatherings together. It says this from the book of Jude, verse 20, because there's only one chapter. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let me pray for us. 
Lord, we ask that you would guide us to be people who recognize that you are the God above all things. You can keep us from stumbling. You can give us patience when we need to have patience. And you can help us bring people who have doubt and people who need the message. You can help us bring the message to them. Lord, I pray that you would be with us today and this week. Thank you for giving us today. Lead us through this next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.